You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamerson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian Lamerson. With me, as always, my friends, my colleagues, a man whose conversion rate never fluctuates, it's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. <laughs> conversion rates, I like it. Uh, we're, we're talking about shots. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. We're taking your shot, shooting your shot like shooters do. Speaking of shooters, I'll give us a lot of you know, this little cameo this week. I mean, 100% shooting, you know, conversion rate, so... Yeah. I mean, that's... Shots on target. Shots on target. (laughs) He doesn't care about expected goals, does he? He'll shoot from wherever. Um, Yeah, so that was basically... For my first draft for the script this week, just said Zlatan over and over again, and I was going to see how many times I could do it in about an hour. But luckily, you came through and said that that probably wasn't going to be acceptable, and I respect that. Um, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I reserved the right to just go back and do it if we run out of things to talk about. I'll just fill the rest of the time just going slotted. <laughs> Speaking of conversion rates. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I can't think of any, not just in Major League Soccer, I mean in any in any league, I can't think of any debut that's ever gone quite like that. <laughs> Uh, no, it, I mean, you see it in baseball every once in a while. Like uh, this past week, you know, Mike Stanton hit two home runs for the Yankees. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was really cool. But the Yankees were leading anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like it, like he came off the bench in the bottom of the ninth and hit a home run. I mean, like that's I, that, that, I mean, it's it's that would just I, be one amazing thing. Right. Well, I mean, so they were losing. So he his wonder goal not uh, tied the game. Yeah. Which seemed inconceivable, you know, previously with how poor they were playing. And then that um, was he onside, was he offside type debate with that second one. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it just, it, it, it was. It, it went from losing to drawing to winning. And two different, I mean, that's two changes in game, two pl- positive changes in game states. So and- it's... Against LAFC, you know, this new team right. that is just about to embarrass you on your home turf. Crazy. Well, we will discuss that game a little bit more in depth later. Um, but right now, let's get to the other, the meat and the potatoes of the show, the real star, the thing that everybody's here for, that we've been doing consistently every week, and I'm so proud of us. Uh, and it's our most interesting stat of the week. And this week, that statistic comes to us from Elliot McKinley, and you can find him on Twitter at ET McKinley. Um, and he wanted me to tell everybody to hashtag save the crew. We agree. We agree. Um, so what he pointed out to me, and this is kind of like really cerebral, and it's 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 an odd stat, but it's one I like anyway. Um, uh, but this comes from the Atlanta versus Minnesota match, and this was a very unusual match as far as... Um, these two teams go, uh, which is saying something considering they've only played like twice. But, uh, you know, Atlanta's known for being very aggressive offensively and Minnesota perhaps a team known, you know, maybe for being on the defensive side of the ball a lot. Um, 
But in this right, match, in, in the last in the last two out of the two matches, they they were kind of lopsided too, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, they came back and won that one. I think it was the last time they played before this one, but this was this was unusual. So it, Atlanta scored very early. It's like a fluky own goal, um, and then Perez gets sent off uh, for a second yellow. I think it was in the thirty eighth minute. So they were like at thirty eight minutes with both players or with eleven men on the field each. So like that's. You know, it, it, it's early, but it's not like a fifth-minute send-off or anything like that, you know? Um, and what follows is Atlanta just starts just bunkering, basically. I mean, they get really, really hard, and like they just, they're just going to try to hang on to their 1-0 lead, and, and of course they do. Um, and this is where the, the stat comes in, and maybe it's less interesting than I think it is, but this match featured the most disparity in average passing position on the x-axis than can be seen in any other match since as far as we have records, which is back towards 2015. So what does that mean? Um, and basically that just means if we plot the average passing position for Atlanta and the average passing position on the field for Minnesota on the x-axis, which is, in this case, would be you know kind of goal to goal, those average positions were 27.8 yards apart. Um, and in fact, looking at this match, uh, 49% of the match was played in Atlanta's third, uh, which is, you know, kind of interesting. Uh, definitely not what you'd expect from this. <laughs> yeah, it is a whole lot. Uh, really shows how much uh, Atlanta were just very bunkered. Uh, and also less of note, but something he still pointed out, uh, is uh, Seattle versus Montreal um, had another early red card around that same time, and this was the fifth highest disparity of average passing on the y-axis. So, you know, touchline to touchline. Um, that disparity was 17.6 yards, which makes sense uh, because Seattle used the left flank 61% of the time in that game. So, anyway, all of this got me thinking. Um, and this is not something I've looked at a whole lot before. And uh, I was wondering if we could kind of find, you know, some of these tendency charts uh, and, and kind of see if, like, we could draw any conclusions from any of this. So um, this season so far, uh, the MLS team that attacks most on the left flanks, and uh, there's no point for guessing this right, uh, it is, in fact, Seattle, uh, who also were the most last year. And that's approximately 45% of their attacks go down the left flank. Which is what Ladero, I guess. Uh, Ladero doesn't stay on one side of the flank, right? But I mean, that makes a lot of sense because Jovan Jones was there last year, right, and then right. early on, Calvin Leardam has been injured, so you know they've been p- pushing a little bit more down the left flank with uh, Sean Francis early on, mm-hmm. and then you know in that game, Calvin Leardam is the one that gets the red card, so you're probably moving the ball over to the left flank yeah, just to kind of cu- right just to kind of prevent that from being from that extra space from being exposed um so that would be my theory on that i that's just theory i practically yeah. speaking i i think it's sa- it sounds good yeah <laughs> i like it um so now let's do the right flank and the mls team that attacks the most on the right flank so far this year and again no points for guessing this one either because it's Montreal who do it 44% of the time. And this one's interesting because it's actually different from last season when they w- used the right flank and it was like the third least amount of any team in MLS. So, um, you know, it, it's – it's um, obviously we're talking about three or four games here in, in, in four in Montreal's case. And um, well, these, these things might settle back a little bit more as the year progresses. But um, I think that shows like a – 
definite change in tactics with a new coach. Like, I, I know that they were already on that side because Seattle were there a lot too, but it seems like that has been their tendency uh, every match so far this year regardless. Yeah, I think the other side of it also is that, you know, they have Vargas down there, and I think that they're trying to use Jason Vargas to kind of spread a little bit more and to maybe take a little bit of the focus away from Piotti. Um, I would that would be my guess. Although I think it's very interesting because, you know, both Piotti and Daniel Lovitz has been so influential early on mm-hmm. in the season. It's kind of interesting to, th- to hear relative that both of those guys being on the left side are being utilized less, even though their influence has been so great early on in, you know, from an expected goals and from an expected goal chains perspective. Um, it's it's interesting. The only thing that I have is Vargas. That would be the only thing that makes sense. And I think he's. Been, I personally have thought you know very highly of his outing so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, all right. You want to find out the middle? It's gonna blow yeah. Uh, that's that. That would be an interesting one. I have a couple of theories, but I, I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. So, uh, do you want to take a guess? The MLS team that attacks down the I, middle the most? I would guess, I would honestly guess Atlanta, just because of their passing lanes. Then you would be wrong. Yeah, um, well, right, because this is about volume, not necessarily. Yeah. So frequency, <laughs> uh, so it would have to be, so Columbus? Not Columbus either. It's actually the earthquakes of San Jose. Ah. Uh, ah. So far this year, they've used the middle of the pitch 31% of the time in their attacks. Um, and to compare that to last year, there were like eight teams uh, that were tied at the top of this list for like 27%. So it's not a huge outlier there. Um, but that is uh, that is our x-axis. Um, now uh, let's uh, – or sorry, that was our y-axis. Now let's look at the x-axis. And uh, the team who's have the ball in their own third the most is – and you got to be able to guess this one. Yeah, NYC, right? It's obviously I mean, we talked we kind of we we talked about this last week a little bit with Sean Johnson, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, thirty five percent of the time they keep it there, and uh, this is not surprising. Um, this one I uh, found was interesting. Uh, the team that has the ball like in the middle third the most uh, during their game is actually the Chicago Fire, uh, where the ball is there forty eight percent of the time when they play. So uh, just a very um, midfieldy team there, I suppose. Um, and the team that has the ball in their opponents third the most, and this very much surprised me, um, it's Sporting Kansas City, 33% of the time. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Does it, it make just, sense to you? It, it does, and, and the reason why is just we've seen the uptick in their attacking um, and also a huge uptick. I shouldn't say huge uptick, but we've seen an uptick in their possession overall early on, and it would it seems like it would correlate with the fact that um, they're just getting forward more frequently, which you know also correlates with the fact that they're having more shots against. Um, m- maybe just because they're not getting, uh, they're not shutting down transition as well, and so it's happening a little bit more frequently. That purely a guess. So, well, we will see. I'll check in with these in probably a couple weeks again, and we'll see if these still look similar. Uh, just throw these... it out real fast, you know. I, we're not going to talk a lot about Kansas City today, so I just want to mention something I noticed today was okay. that they have a PDO of 871, which means that they are being unlucky in goal scoring, uh, and, and not just in goal scoring, but uh, in kind of shot ratio. So, hmm. yeah, I think that's really interesting. Get rabbit's foot, sporting Kansas City fan. 
get, 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 get I told you, I'm not stocks. selling my sporting stock. Still it's not, not going to happen. Kansas City stock. Um, all right. That was our stat of the week. I think that was good, and I think it was interesting. And once again, that comes to us from our friend Elliot McKinley. Thanks so much, Elliot. Uh, if you, the listeners, find something interesting um, in the statistics for uh, Major League Soccer in any given week, reach out to us on Twitter, at Analysis Evolved, and we will uh, consider it and possibly uh, share it on the show with everybody. Um, we're doing a second segment now, and it's the second week in a row we've done this segment, which means it's a consistent segment at this point. And this is the one where uh, Ian decides if a player Ian decides a player's elite based on something he saw this weekend, and then we break it down, look at the numbers to decide if the player actually is in fact elite. Uh, last week it was Philippe Gutierrez, and this week we're on the other side of the ball. It's Victor Cabrera. So let me let me make my case for eliteness. Okay. Okay. You do, do do your thing. Again, obviously, four matches into the season only, so grain of salt and all that, but, you know, we have to just still talk about this anyway, which <laughs> we've been having to talk about until later in the year. I, um, I love how everything's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, sample size. Oh, yeah, but sample size. I know, but it what shows, are we supposed to do? Sh- just, like, I, not no, going to show until no, <laughs> Yeah, no, I absolutely <laughs> agree. I just think it's really good because I feel like we've – you and I, as friends, have come to a certain place in our in our friendship where yes. you throw that out continually because you know I'm going to throw something. Like yes, that. the first thing you're going to say to me, it might bring anything to you. Well, sample size, Ian, but um, so sample size. But I'm going to make my case for his eliteness anyway. Um, so far this season, Victor Cabrera leads the way in tackles in Major League Soccer with an average of 6.8 per 90. That is that is high. Um, for interceptions, uh, he has he's third, um, and he trails only Daniel Stares and El Munir. Uh, he has four point three. Stares has four point four, and El Munir has four point five. So, basically, right there at the top for interceptions too. And his clearances, uh, nine point five per ninety minute. Once again, lead Major League Soccer. Those are three major defensive action statistical breakdown, and he is leading two of them and basically tied, you know, very close to first place in the other. Um, now, I think, and I know what you're going to say, so, like, I'll just make a little more of my argument here uh, for, okay. for eliteness. I think we're seeing a player that is aggressive. I think we're seeing a player that is uh, that their aggression in the past has made them prone to mistakes and that a lot of those mistakes don't get caught in, you know, the numbers. I do think that you're also seeing a guy who's seeing more action as a result of Simon being gone, like he's had to take on that mantle. Um, and I think that his aggression so far this year has really been paying off. And I don't know if I can say that he's elite because I think it's really hard with defenders um, to look at numbers and think you're getting a whole picture of something. Um, but keep in mind, you know, he was part of a defense that kept Seattle scoreless, that kept Toronto scoreless, that gave up... Three goals against Columbus and two goals against Vancouver, so never mind. But it's hard it's hard to say. What do you think? <laughs> I think, first of all, I'm going to stop writing out my arguments against your arguments so you don't know what I'm going to say. And second of all, I think that uh, keeping Seattle scoreless has more to do with them being unlucky than necessarily being good. Um, they weren't uh, – their expected goals against uh, – in one over – that second half uh, was pretty good. The first half hard wasn't really hardly. Uh, but there are a lot of things about that 
the dynamic of that game on Saturday that probably make it a poor case study from the perspective of trying to judge whether Victor Cabrera was good or not. I do really like the fact that you kind of mentioned Simon, and I think that he has taken over that uh, that mantle, if you will. Um, but the whole of you know interceptions, clearances, tackles. Um, it's kind of odd as a defensive statistic. Uh, Mark Goodman wrote about it this uh, week on American Soccer Analysis, our site, um, kind of trying to leverage some of those statistics to figure out um, a degree of quality for central defensive midfielders. They're more of a descriptor, and they paint a picture of what um, an individual does or a team does with that position than really how how much quality there is in that position. Um, they're, either they're aggressive. I, I think you, you kind of hit it, uh, the nail on the head with the fact that he is being more aggressive and that's being captured in the fact that, you know, he has so many tackles. 6.8 per 90 is a huge amount of tackles per 90, um, especially when previously he was only winning about three a game uh, the last few seasons. So obviously Which there's is still been, high uh, in this league. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, obviously, we're seeing a huge t- uh, tick up. And I think, in general, Victor Cabrera has been, been underrated within the league, and not just the league, with his coaches, too. I mean, he's had three different coaches in, what, three and a half years? So, uh, and kind of as a result of that, he hasn't played more than 2,000 minutes. Um, some of that is due to, you know, injuries and various um, situations that have cropped up. But more than anything, it's just kind of been about uh, that establishing that relationship. And he's only 25 years old. And despite the fact that he's racking up these above average event uh, metrics, they haven't necessarily given him the leniency to kind of go and to and to continually play every game. I think the other side of that coin is that, you know, uh, Husana uh, Kamara, I Mm -hmm. believe, was uh, the starter previously not just the starter but he was kind of entrenched not just within um the position but within kind of montreal lore right so it's a little bit hard to replace somebody of that kind of caliber and that kind of figure not necessarily quality you know i think it's been very apparent that victor cabrera has a has a definable quality i mean he's been in the league for the last four years since he was i think 20 is when uh, montreal signed him so there's always been indications that he's going to be good but um, it, it's kind of hard just to kind of unseat somebody like that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, but trying to understand like the accumulated events and why that's so specifically interesting is really, and I said this before, the increase in volume. And it's not unusual for defensive players on teams that have low possession rates to lead the league in those types of categories. And in fact, it's pretty common um, if, you, if you have if your team doesn't hold the ball, well, then the other team has the ball and you're more frequently to, you know, accrue those defensive events, right? Um, just kind of, it's a logical progression. Um, so if your team, if you are playing on a team that likes to counterattack or likes to kind of, uh, you know, seed possession, you're more frequently going to get those uh, CBIs, right? The, the clearances, the blocks, the interceptions, the tackles. Um, so... But while that's, you know, kind of a market against Cabrera, this is a Montreal team that for the past four years has had uh, around 47, 45% possession. They've been a counterattacking team f- pretty much since they came into MLS. Uh, 
mm-hmm. you know, with Marco Devaio. Um, so the fact that we're seeing Cabrera's events not just increase but double with really no real uptick, I mean, a very slight uptick in possession, and that's an uptick in possession, not a decrease in possession, uh, right. which is really kind of interesting. Uh, that's what makes it really interesting to me. And it really shows his aggressiveness. But the other side of it is, and this is kind of where I, you can say the, the proof in the pudding, you know, if I can mm-hmm. use air quotes, you can't see my hands, but air quotes. I assume um, everything you say has air quotes. Just about, <laughs> I always picture you with air quotes. <laughs> but uh, he, the volume helps paint the picture uh, of kind of success, but it's the frequency that he's winning those tackles, right? He's winning almost seven tackles a game out of 10 attempts. So it's not even that he's, he's winning nearly 70% of the opportunities he's going into. Whereas in times past, it was roughly 50%, 40%, 50%, 40% over the last, you know, four years. So Mm -hmm. not only is he more aggressive, he's being more successful when he's aggressive. And I think it's really, you know, important to note that, you know, tackles, interceptions, blocks don't necessarily correlate with preventing shots or limiting that they're a team's expected goals against. Um, but that's not to say they're not important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, most frequently, those types of events occur in the defensive third and they signify a change in possession, which is critical for a team like Montreal that's launching those counterattacks. So it, it's like one of these back and forth, like intellectual, is it important? Is it not? Is it indicator that he's good? Ne- or that Not just that he's good, because I think that we always knew Cabrera was good, but is he elite now? Is he not? Um, yeah, it, it's a really kind of back and forth conversation. I'd be interested to to take to hear just you watch a lot of games i'd be really interested in your comments about um when you see defensive actions by um a center back what do you normally correlate that with i I imagine a positive event right yeah always i mean not always I, i guess you know there are times where you see something that's counted as an interception you know where it hits him in the back of the head or you know but it's 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 definitely like you, <laughs> the center back making that big saving tackle is one of my favorite things, um, and it, it Cabrera did that a lot. I mean, the last time I saw him, you know, was in that match against Seattle, um, and it's an important. But I, yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> the other side of things too. There, there, there's yeah, there's like two sides of the coin. It's yeah. you know, this doesn't correlate to this, but it does actually deal with a direct impact of possession in the final third and final third possession ultimately impacts. It's like one of those tangled weaves that you, yeah. whoa. The tangled webs we weave. Yeah. Um, uh. what, one other thing that I thought was kind of important to at least recognize is Montreal is at a two year low in their expected goals against uh, per 96. Mm. So they haven't shown this type of. Um, obviously, last year was not a great year for them. No. Um, they took a, they they kind of took some hits on their expected goals against last year. This year, they're below that. They're uh, about I think they're a little bit lower than what they were in uh, in 2016. So so far, having a, a not a great year, but but an above average year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the other thing, you know, I I was talking to our friend Aaron about Cabrera. Um, 
And uh, we were talking about this, and he said uh, that, you know, the other side of the coin er, that we're talking about here, and this is what a lot of, I think, if we were talking to more um, people that aren't looking at the numbers, they'd say, like, well, what about, like, Paolo Maldini, who is a great, you know, defender for uh, the Italian national team, and uh, Juventus, and uh, he you know, would always have, like, very low defensive action stats, but they would say that he's a great defender because his positioning uh, made doing defensive actions um, unnecessary. And I thought that was interesting, and I was trying to figure out um, sort of if there was, like, an MLS version of that. And I remember last year, the center backs that we looked at that had, um, like, the lowest defensive actions per 90 were guys like... Parkhurst and Chad Marshall, um, Matt Besler. Uh, you know, these are guys that I think are generally considered to be good center backs. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, absolutely. And one, the, the name that really kind of springs to mind is Michael Bradley, right? He's not a center, right. he's yeah, not yeah. A center back, but he always has really low defensive actions, and it's always been really – and that's that's always been the conversation with him, right? Like, is people having a hard time, like, really analytically coming up with, is he good? And I think there's a couple different reasons why I've slowly come come around to him on the, on this subject. Um, not just because you look at expected uh, goal uh, chains, he is number two behind Nicholas Ladero. Um, so obviously, he has a, a lot of importance and a lot of influence. And that ball rotation for Toronto as they, you know, move forward. And it, and that was even with Toronto not necessarily being one of the best expected goal teams. You know, that right. was – he obviously had a really huge influence. But looking at it from the defensive side, we're, which we're talking about, he's always really low. Even when you adjust for possession, he's mm. always on the low side. And the, the conversations I've had with, you know, a few different people um, – yeah. I think Matt Doyle and I, we had the we went back and forth last year and maybe even last the year before that during MLS Cup. His positioning is so good that sometimes it just doesn't warrant. He deters passes in his general direction because of his, you know, because he's sitting in a passing lane. Yeah. Um, so uh, the one thing that I would argue against that is that if you have supreme positioning, you'd be able to Intercept. I, I would think, just using, uh, just thinking about it, I would try to position myself to where I'm not sitting in a passing lane, but rather leave that passing lane open enough to where it would influence the pa- the the passer You'd to bait. make that pass. Yeah, so you kind of bait the situation, um, right? Like that. That seems to me like that would be. But I suppose you probably don't want to leave your feet, and you probably aren't wanting to launch into. You know, <laughs> certain situations. It's not. It's it's this not. This is a, where it becomes clear that we're 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 we're, we're fans, and analysts, and not players. Right. Well, I mean, so, but you've played enough, yeah. and I've played enough to think about how I've the 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 good moments that I've had, which are very few. <laughs> Tearing it up very, on the under sixteens, boy, they never stop talking about it. No, they don't. Uh, you know, that's. Those were things that I would think about, and uh, I'd be really interested to hear from a player's perspective why that's um, w- what's problematic about that, and then those that do try to do it, um, why that's successful for them, and why it, sometimes it's not. So, yeah, you know what's funny is 
the other statistic that I think is kind of um, I see a lot of arguing over is one where um, it's like pass completion rate. Like a lot of people will point to that and just go like, well, what is that? Like that there's so much to do with that. Like it's really hard to read, you know, like they're not all good passes. They're not all smart passes. Um, and I get that. But I think with that, you know, there's this thing where if you've got a center midfielder who has a completion rate of 90%, that doesn't necessarily mean he's good. But if you've got a center midfielder with a passing completion rate of 40%, I'll show you a really bad center midfielder. You can't flip the script in the same way with defensive actions. Like, there's still not a good way to get a holistic sense of the player based on any one of these kind of particular numbers. But I do think if you see a lot of them together, like we are with Cabrera, you can see a very good certain style of defender and one that I think I can understand teams preferring. Uh, which is that guy. And I think maybe ideally you have one of each as your center back. I agree. Um, and right now, pound for pound, uh, the best you know ball-winning center back in the league is Victor Cabrera. Right. But, I mean, okay, so you look at LAFC, right, where they've chosen to go with kind of basically two different – two ball-winning uh, center backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the flip side, and you mentioned him earlier, uh, Matt Beasler, where you have him coupled with Aiko Parra, where Beasler is very cerebral. Um, you, He understands his positioning, makes sure the line's positioned well, works really well with Tim Melia while you partner Aiko Parra. And he just, Aiko Parra just tears things up, wins the ball, goes on, you know, goes gets forward, kind of like Roman Torres uh, in a lot of different ways lesser ways um well not, not <laughs> roman that, torres is lesser <laughs> right the roman torres is, is much lesser uh yes. than icopara i'm a huge fan of icopara not so much for roman torres um so i i think that there's a there's some cases that you can make where some teams like bob bradley and honestly i could listen to bob bradley talk about like how he puts his team together and the thought process behind it is really kind of fascinating mm-hmm. and i i really enjoyed him talking about uh, because while what uh Djokovic and uh and simon are the current pairings there it was supposed to be you know walker zimmerman who's right. kind of ha- been nursing an inner uh, an injury so when walker zimmerman comes back and he's paired with Laurent Simon. I'm going to be really interested to see how that how that works because my thought process was they're going to be not only are they going to try to dominate possession, they're also going to have two ball winning center backs that could really leave them exposed. And my thought process honestly was they're going to get roasted by Colorado. Like that was my initial oh, wow. reaction. That was just like my initial reaction, right? Like wow. Dominic Baji was good. They, they were just going to over the top to Baji and Baji was just going to outrun both Zimmerman and, and Simon. And it wasn't going to be fair to whoever was in goal, whether that was Lopez or Miller at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, that was, yeah. I, I have no idea how I got to, uh, Colorado beating LAFC. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, but I uh, mean, center back know, pairings, just, but yeah, guys, that was a hot take alert. And make sure that if that does not come true, uh, <laughs> to hit Harrison up on Twitter at Harrison underscore crow, uh, hashtag not quite. And uh, okay, so I think um, that was a healthy discussion of defenders, and it's something that uh, I know at American Soccer Analysis, and I think other people that do this, it's kind of something that. These guys that are that are that are doing the research that are crunching numbers are always looking at different ways to evaluate positions and and, and to try to see, um, you know, if there's a way that we can help evaluate talent. 
while we're doing that, we're obviously not discounting, you know, certain things that we can obviously see with our eyes and certain things we can see. You know, like it's not that sort of uh, fight where we only think one kind of thing is good or one kind of thing is bad. Um, But at this point, it's still a work in progress, I think. And uh, I really enjoyed Mark Goodman's uh, article, like uh, was he was trying to find a way to like comprehensively uh, assign a number to a defensive midfielder, which is a Herculean task. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't like the results. I thought they were better than most people did. But uh, it's definitely worth checking out on the website. I can't imagine soccer. why you think that. Shh, don't, 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 don't ruin that for me. Uh, <laughs> but go check that out on our website. Uh, it is definitely worth, uh, worth a read. Uh, okay, let's, let's stop talking about theoretical things let's let's bring some let's bring some some more concrete things that happened this week let's do our uh quick match reviews what do you say yeah let's do it okay so this week um i'm going to start at the last match played and work my way down because that's how i have them listed and i don't feel like trying to do it backwards um so uh we our match our week ended with colorado uh at home defeating philadelphia three to nothing dominic baji with a hat trick not something you see a lot from a Colorado player. So. What, did, what did I tell you? Don't be, don't be, don't be jumping against Baji. Hey, don't listen, be doing that. Listen, I'm a Baji fan. Okay, I always have been. Love Dominic Baji. Uh, so that was really, really cool for him. Uh, Philadelphia, just I don't know. It, 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 I feel like some teams go to Colorado and just don't ever get going. And I don't know if it's an altitude thing or whatever. It, it just. A travel thing. It, Philadelphia just never really got going in this match at all. No, and, and you know you can point to the fact that they had some really good shots. They, it's not as if they didn't create some some chances. But you know one of the things is uh, that you could probably pull away. And I heard a lot of Philadelphia fans kind of references that uh, Borek Dockel, uh, who's their new DP mm-hmm. number ten, really did not seem like he ever got into the game, right? He didn't yeah. do a lot of creation. I think his one key pass was off a uh, corner kick. So there is obviously, um, obviously they're trying to, you know, kind of lead him into that team. Um, and, and so there's going to be some hit and misses going forward. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if they're able to, to do that. They got, uh, what they, they're getting Fafa back this week. So that it'll be, mm. so again, they're, they're still, uh, getting their whole team together. I mean, we're five games in at this stage, and teams are still just now getting their best eleven together. Yeah. So, uh, Philadelphia. I still think Philadelphia, even though they weren't, I, I, I don't want to say they weren't dominant. I don't. I don't think it's fair to say that um, any team's going to be dominant every game. But they didn't look like they were ever going to necessarily win this game. They might steal. This game is kind of what the perspective I felt it was in the first half before mm-hmm. they gave up the goal to Baji in the 53rd. Um, mm-hmm. I still thought they were good. I still thought that they had some chances. Sapong continues to, when he is able to get the ball, still is able to create space and, and create shots for himself, which is, um, you know, it, it, it's really promising. Yeah. Okay. Not selling Philadelphia stock either. I see. I like it. I uh, not just not just yet. I don't think there's any reason to 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 get too uppity about that. One thing I like about Philadelphia a lot right now um, is, even though I'm not like a hashtag player kids guy, like that's a really fun backline they've got, and they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination yet. But like 
Rosenberry and Matthew Real and uh, Jack Elliott and Austin Trusty. I mean, I think that's got to be like the youngest backline. Yeah, in but Fontana is is still kind of coming in, making appearances. He made an appearance yeah. in this game. He's a fun. He's a fun guy to watch. Yeah. Uh, Mark McKenzie supposedly it could be making a start next week as well. Uh, that's the rumor going on. So they got kids, man. They got good kids. That's got to be good for the future. Um, next game, uh, New England two, Houston zero at Houston. Did not see this result coming. I think, obviously, there were a few games this week that were kind of thrown into disarray by first-half red cards, and and this was one of them. Uh, Beasley sent off for denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. Um, Christian Pena starting to look strong, starting to kind of like uh, get some eyes, cast his direction. Uh, Really nice finish there as well. Uh, New England last year won one game the entire year on the road. So they've already got theirs out of the way this year. Uh, I think we might see some improvement there. Um, uh, improvement as in that they might make the playoffs or... No, that they might win more than one league. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's really possible that they win. I mean, you know, they the have... second one? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely possible. That being said, yeah, Panilla has been really good. Um, his, you know, first game of the year kind of got cut short with, you know, all those red cards that they had on the defensive back line and he had to come off for Annie Baba. And so, you know, it's been really great having some, you know, about three straight games to where we were able to see what he's able to do. And he's been a really interesting, creative player. Uh, I thought it was kind of uh, Jay Heaps-ish to put him in the middle of the field after, you know, seeing that he was supposed to be a a winger. um, Maybe he was a striker. And now he's playing the 10, which, again, seemed to be like a Jay Heaps sort of thing to do as Heaps kept playing... uh, Aguadelo at the ten last uh, when it was mm-hmm. last year, um, it, it was a little bit odd, but it's 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 been great to see him come on, and it's been good to see that they've been able to find someone overseas that's been able to impact their uh, their attack, which is they don't hit that, often. On no foreign signings, so yeah, no, they this don't. Is a, this is a nice change there, and uh, you know he does kind of remind me a lot of um, Piatti or, or Ladero, and that he. You know, nominally he might be like at the ten, but he he drifts a lot too. Like he's a no, very he does a very roamy player, and I think that that gives New England an interesting bite that they haven't had necessarily in years past. So, and I think it's yeah. kind of interesting to see another uh, roaming midfielder like that, another uh, creative. I, I almost want to say a creative wing player. Yeah, they're coming into fashion. They 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 are in vogue, sir. They're in vogue. <laughs> All right, uh, our next match was our crazy match of the week, and that was Minnesota United 0, Atlanta United 1. Uh, only goal, a very fluky own goal early. I think a lot of people that are fans of Minnesota had flashbacks to the year before and thought, oh, no, this is going to this is gonna turn into another slaughter. But, uh, alas, uh, Perez, once again, very poor discipline. He's off, and then... I've never seen Atlanta do what they did, um, which is just really park the bus. I mean, just get behind it and defend, defend, defend. And you saw, like, Martinez didn't get any shots off. Almiron only got one off. I think he got, like, eight tackles. I, it was crazy. I, I, I could not believe what I was seeing, and I cannot believe Minnesota just could not 
find an equalizer. Yeah, so, and I know that you're going to say that. I know that the story is going to be on that big old goose egg from Minnesota and the fact that Atlanta got three points after, while spending, you know, what, almost 60 minutes in total uh, up a man or down a man, rather. All that, and like, and literally half the match was in their third. Right. But uh, so uh, to to Minnesota's credit, right, there's some really good playmaking that that went on uh, from uh, Miguel Ibarra, from Sam Nicholson that did some work to break down that that attack. And, and you know, you'll see it on uh, lowered expectations. Uh, you'll see it probably. T- uh, you'll be hearing it today. You'll be hearing it. If you're hearing it today, yes, you'll be seeing it the day you're hearing it. So immediately. So you can go out there. There's lowered expectations. There's a really good uh, sequence of events from Miguel Obara, Ethan Finley to. uh, No, it was really, it was really fun and really. um, I, I, in the article, I didn't want to dwell too much on it, but it was a very Ladero-esque moment from Obara, in that you know he cycles the ball. He doesn't do a lot, but what he's constantly doing is he's moving defenders around. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he has the the opening that he wants with uh, Ethan Finley, he goes ahead and just makes a quick little ball roll and an easy pass. And Finley's in open space in the 18. Yeah, it was a really good move. I, I was I was remarking on that too. I I think it's easy. To, 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 to criticize a loss from Minnesota here, and I think it's totally fair, 100% fair to do so, given that you're at home, given that you're a man up, given how much of the ball you had. Um, and, you know, but it was, it was just one of those games where it was just, just the ball was, there was a force field around the net, and be that Atlanta defenders or, or the 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 the, <laughs> the frozen winds, I, I don't know. It, it was, uh, I can definitely understand being frustrated as a Minnesota fan, but again, I think this team is a team that is making strides forward. And I, they only have one way they could really go this season, and so I'm glad to see that they are doing that. Um, you know, you put Darwin Quintero on the end of a couple of those chances in a couple of weeks, maybe this goes differently. Well, I, 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 I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, I think that if you replay this game... Well, look, Quintero's going to definitely add a different dynamic yeah. to this team, and I, I like Quintero for a lot of reasons, and he's been a player that you know you and I both have gotten to see a lot of and been on the, uh, been on the opposite side of goals, yes. uh, for, especially during Champions League, and he's probably not the same guy he was in Liga MX. I, I'm, I, in fact, I, I'm pretty sure he's not. But that being said, he's going to be an impact-level player. Mm -hmm. Taking that away, Minnesota didn't just rely on crosses. They didn't just rely on crosses in this game. And I don't want to take a fat, you know, take a away from the fact that you know there were crosses made and, and stuff and whether or not you cross, that doesn't necessarily inherently make you good or bad. But they they had some really good ideas. Like they had some a really good. Um, attempts at breaking down Atlanta, and it wasn't that they were they just couldn't break them down. It was just more of uh, they just got unlucky. I well, mean, whether you like yeah, whether you like me. crosses yeah, whether you like crosses or not, and we both do not. Um, there's a tendency in games like this where teams will get very frustrated and just start whipping balls in uh, yeah. over and over mm-hmm. again. It, and like uh, that's a sign of a of of I consider like a defense having having won that occasion because uh, they want you to do that. Minnesota never did do that even till the very end. Uh, you know, Abara was still trying to like 
move defenders around, poke holes in it, uh, just find little openings. And uh, yeah, I, I get I I know a lot will be said, and it's totally I mean, fair. Yeah, and Minnesota had 49 crosses, so it's not as though they did, they did cross. Yes. Yeah, it's not as if, but it, it it didn't seem like all their their crosses were wasteful, right? Um, and I agree with you. I felt like Miguel Ovaro was definitely trying to break them down uh, in internally and create some opportunities, which you know, uh, really I thought was pretty successful on an occasion. Yeah, maybe Miguel Ovaro is is the number ten they've always needed. It's something to keep an eye on. <laughs> Early days still. Yeah. Uh, another match uh, tarnished by the red mist. Uh, Min- or Montreal defeats Seattle 1-0 at Seattle. Um, uh, Kelvin Leardam, I think it was in the 38th minute, goes out due to some violent contact. Um, video review got him. And Seattle have had a lot of discipline problems this year. I think that's three MLS matches, and they've not finished with 11 players in any of them, and that's certainly the only statistical category in which they lead the league. Uh, <laughs> oh, they, they lead the league in in the least amount of points as well. That's true, too. That is true. The big goose egg down there in the Pacific Northwest. Um, for the most part, despite being um, a man down, uh, Seattle was... I still felt like the team that looked more likely to score for most of it. Um, their Montreal's goal came off of a you know an individual error from from Francis and kind of misplaying a clearance, and then Piotti did Piotti things, and and Vargas, uh, who has been very good this year, um, you know finished with aplomb as they say, and that was all they really needed. But um, I know three games in, and I'm hearing and seeing a lot of Seattle fans getting extremely panicky. And it is unusual for this team to go. No, it's not. I mean, they've done this a lot before early in the season, but this feels worse. You know, this seems to look really bad right now. The immediate reaction from a lot of people within the media is kind of the wrong message. And that's these games don't really matter. Which they, of course, they do. Every game matters. Every game has the same weighted yeah. amount of importance. Um, the thing about that, and especially to, as you kind of start trending towards the end of the season, is that you you understand the weight a little bit more, right? You have a little bit more, uh, a little bit more on the painting, a little bit more on the portrait, to where you understand where you're going to lie. You don't want to continue losing games at, at early stages of the season, regardless of if you're LA, Seattle, um, and any other team, Toronto. There's a reason why there. You, you ha- always have an impetus to, to try to win games, right? This is, yeah, this is one thing that's a pet peeve of mine is that take that the early season games don't matter. I mean, they do. Any win you can get now is a win you don't have to get later, and that's good. Always have points in the bank instead of theoretical ones. I mean, just look at RSL last year in the second half of the season. They were one of the best uh, teams, you know, go after the All-Star break, like second or third best. And they didn't make the playoffs because they couldn't get it done early in the season. Like, it's it's not an automatic thing. And if you just have a good second half of the year, you'll be fine. you got to put some stuff together early, too. Yeah, and, and look, you know, Seattle's not a great team right now. I will totally... I will totally give you that. I mean, they're right now they're fifth, I think, in uh, expected goals against. So their defense has been really good. It has been stellar as what it's been for, like, the last 18 months. But um, their attack has just... Um, I mean, 
hey, they've had Ladero out for games. They've they've missed Clinton Dempsey. You, you take DPs away from teams and uh, specifically teams that are built around their DPs, such as Seattle, such as Toronto, you're going to have um, situations to where they're not going to be as effective in the attacking third. Um, mm-hmm. they, they missed what they had one game to where they didn't have Ladero, Will Bruin, Victor Rodriguez. I mean, they're missing a lot of pieces. So yeah, it's hard for me to get really excited about Seattle's situation in, in a negative uh, manner. I mean, uh, you, you don't want to start a season off 0-3, but um, realistically speaking, I thought that, you know, um, one of the things that, that at least in my site, that's been a positive is I feel like I've seen um, Ladero go at gold more frequently. And I think that that's going to be something that's going to have to happen this year, especially with Dempsey uh, kind of being on the aging side. Um, Wolf Ikram, I'm not sure how much he is a direct-to-goal type guy. So they're going to need to fill in Dempsey's shots. Dempsey is one of the the highest generator of uh, expected goals in the league, and as he is less on the field, you're going you're going to have to you're going to have to fill that in, yeah. right? You're going to have to create uh, expected goals shots. Uh, well, and that's been his role in that goals. team for so long too. It's hard to like, yeah, tell someone else like, okay, now you go beat Dempsey. Like that's just not a that's not an order that's that's going to get filled. True. Yeah. I mean, you can't. Well, there isn't. And that's a, I think that's something that Seattle fans are going to realize within the next you know 18 months is there's not another Dempsey you can just go and plug and play. You right. can't go to you know whatever various country and go buy another Dempsey. There's not a lot of players, and I don't think that a lot of U.S. men's national team fans quite realize the specimen and the uniqueness of what Dempsey is. Well, um, and if, if these teams in other countries have them, they're not selling him. Well, and that's probably true to an extent. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at 28, 29-year-olds, it's not as if Dempsey was necessarily ever an impact player, uh, except for maybe one or two seasons in the English Premier League. So right. uh, realistically, yeah, you probably could, if, if you found somebody um, in the same vein, but he's such a, un- he's such a unique uh, figure on the field and what in terms of what he does. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 and I'm not talking about just like expected goals or shots, but it's the how he's creating via dribbles um, and how he's finding positions, but yet he's playing uh, positions far enough away from uh, the actual goal. These are, that's kind of uh, it's unusual. You don't find a, his skill set usually is correlated with a nine, but he doesn't play a nine. Yeah. Right, and so that's it's very it's just it's unique and it's going to be difficult to to kind of fill. And I'll stop talking. <laughs> All right, let's move on to a team that is experiencing the opposite. Uh, New York City FC another win two to one over San Jose, and once again they did it without David Villa. Yeah, I mean they're going to have to continue doing these things without David Villa, right? Like, um, this was kind of an unusual result on the road in San Jose early in the season. San Jose is kind of a tough place to play. I don't think a lot of people realize, uh, what a challenging environment that is. Um, it's cold, it's, (laughs) it's windy. There's a lot of different elements on that field. Um, not to be like a cold night in Stoke type, you know, situation, but going from, uh, New York to, to that is, it's, 
it's just challenging. And so um, it's been really good to see Patrick Vieira have to kind of think outside the box. I think it's proven more to me um, his level of influence on this team than David Villa, which has been, which has been you know, hard, obviously, in the past to kind of divorce. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, I think San Jose probably had the most of that match, uh, but New York City FC is a team that is just getting it done right now, and uh, hard to uh, hard to not keep an eye on them as we as we look at the standings going forward. Uh, next match was a rather I don't know I don't want to say it was uneventful because it wasn't, but Kansas City beats DC United one nothing. The goal again, Felipe Gutierrez, last week's American Soccer Analysis Player of the Week. Um, who never did contact me. Good, good. To, well, it's good to know we don't have a curse associated with For his price, so it's a good thing. Uh, you know, this could have probably been an own goal. I, it was, you know, it, I this goal is not anything due to Felipe Gutierrez's specific, you know, incredible skills or anything like that. Kind of a fluky goal deflection. Other than that, Sporting Kansas City, uh, you know, generally about... I think it was around two goals, unexpected goals. DC United about one two five. It was pretty even back and forth. DC United still just can't get these. They're still just not quite there. There's just there's just there's a link missing. There's there's a there's a a difference maker missing. Uh, you see, you know, just sparks of things happening in that lineup in those possessions, and then they just kind of fizzle out and die. And I don't know at this point if there's like a plug and play fix or if this is just a weird team that's just not ever going to quite work i think they're missing uh a roman torres uh on steroids um and i let me <laughs> let me let me, me kind of explain myself right. they're missing a, a defender that can they can be a ball winning defender that can then hop to his feet as soon as he wins that ball and spray the ball wide somebody that has really good ball skills and can win balls. Um, and look, those aren't exactly lying around on the ground anywhere. You're going to have to go look for them, and they're not in this league. Uh, generally, there's a couple, but no team is going to be giving that up. DC United's going to have to go spend money to go get that type of player. And while I think that they're showing a propensity to, to kind of um, open up the checkbook and go and get, you know, get those types of players. Um, I, I think that that's the one thing that they could probably do and have a great impact towards their season. You know, um, I, I feel like I, this won't be the, I, I said this coming into the season, I feel like I'm going to say this a lot more going into the season, but their defense is just so um, hit or miss that mm-hmm. um, they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to do something with their center backs. Yeah. All right, next match we have Chicago to Portland to in Chicago. Portland getting some results on the road this year. Um, Chicago kind of clawed their way back into this twice. Brandon Vincent with a match-winning performance. Um, he's a guy that I... You know, he came when he came to the league. I thought this was your, uh, this was going to be your rookie of the year. This was going to be your guy, and it took him a little while to get started. But I really think he's made that position his own. Yeah, part of that. Um, I think that part of that, and I have no insight to this. So this is all me, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, throwing things out. But okay. I think part of it was that he assumed he was 
just going to be given the spot. And yeah. ultimately, uh, in a lot of ways, he kind of was, but then he lost it for for a specific part of time. And I feel like he lost it because he just wasn't m- mentally quite there. I think he has had the tools all along. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that there's something Danilo Acosta is another uh, kind of comparison for him in that um, he he has all the skills in the world in the world, um, all the talent, but he just hasn't quite put it together. And yeah. it's more dealing with decision making than anything. And I think right now with Brandon Vincent, he's starting to get that decision making down. He's starting to understand when to make those passes, when to make those runs, those overlaps, and that's what's especially crucial for um, being a left back, especially um, when you're when you're talking about the type of uh, formation that Chicago is trying to trying to go forward with with this kind of um, asymmetrical um, four two three one, right? Uh, right? It's a little bit odd because you have you know McCarty, uh, Chani, and Schweinsteiger uh, just kind of all rotating out of that ten roll while yeah. kind of leaving uh, Nikolic like on an island. So you're hoping that um, Vincent can kind of overlap with whoever. Whoever's out on the wing that day, I mean, they don't have a ton of really great options. Um, I, I, I thought John Baccaro was going to be out there. I thought he was going to get an opportunity. Really thought Daniel Johnston was going to get an opportunity. Um, Chicago is a team that um, I won't give up on just because I think Nikolic is amazing. Um, and I'm really interested in Richard Sanchez going forward. And I think when you have a really good player at those two positions and then a solid uh, spine. I think that a lot of good things can come from that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know what to think about Chicago. I think they're maybe a, a back of the playoff, uh, you know, seating type team right now. Um, I think that these games are more important for them uh, along with new England than say Toronto Absolutely. Um, our next match, uh, Columbus, Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver still just grinded out these results. Get a 2-1 win over Columbus, who have been so very good this year. Um, I, I kind of... Vancouver is such... I never really know what to say about Vancouver. But this year they might have found some kind of formula that's just going to work for them. They're They're finally doing the one thing that... They've done the past few years, except for they finally have a figurehead to make it work, right? Yeah. Like um, that last goal by Kai Kamara to where he starts his early run um, mm-hmm. and that ball in by, uh, I think it was Alfonso Davies. Um, I mean, it was just, I mean, that's, that's what, it's the, it's the same type of stuff that you were seeing from other players, but Kai Kamara is just so physically dominant um, mm-hmm. that he's winning those balls. And, you know, you, kind of uh you kind of felt so- sorry for uh i think you beat will trap i think cause he, yeah. he was yeah, uh he marked up again so i mean it, it wasn't like a great um uh, matchup but at the same time like yeah I, whitecaps I, I don't know if they're getting lucky or if they're just um really finding the players that they needed to facilitate uh, the tactics that they they really want to uh, 
uh, emulate, right? Uh, yeah. And I think that that's that's one of those early season things that you're constantly trying to kind of wait is uh, tactics versus um, results, right? Process versus results. Absolutely. Uh, all right, moving on. The El Trafico Derby. What else can we say that hasn't been said about this? I don't think we need to say a lot about it. Uh, I see Los Angeles Galaxy with a second-half come-for-behind 4-3 win over Los Angeles Football Club. Um, you know, uh, Legette scored a goal to, to kind of pull them back into the game. Then we saw Pontius, and then Zlatan just... I mean, he just... He did everything as advertised. Um it's gonna be really weird going forward to see. Like it's almost it. It, it kind of feels to me like that was a one-time thing. Like in my head, that makes sense. That like just Slotin came on one time and was a hero, but now it's weird to imagine him doing this for like ninety minutes against the team. Like he just looks so. He's so cultured on the ball. He's so technically adept. It it, it just seemed like he was a still even at his age, just like a class above everything else on the field. Uh, I think that's a really romantic way to look at it. Uh, I look at <laughs> I look at it a little bit colder in the sense that I I would and, and look I, I I've been proven kind of wrong like a lot a few um, kind of people within our nerd league were really um, you know we ASA in general was kind of. I don't want to say doubtful that he could come and make an impact, but the impact that people come to expect. Uh, and look, it's not as if LAFC bossed this game around because they had the better tactics. Um, that that was pure and simple. I mean, Carrasco in the middle of the field playing back. I mean, uh, Galaxy pretty much invited LAFC into their house to eat their lunch. I mean, yeah. it was it was a little bit hard to watch. And finally, when um, LA, uh, when the Galaxy started putting pressure on the ball, is when this game kind of shifted. And the Galaxy were missing so many different players. And while I don't think necessarily, uh, you know, Giovanni Dos Santos doesn't make that big of a difference, at least in my mind right now. I feel mm-hmm. like he's such an enigma that I, I, he could have made this game way worse. He could have made it much better. Who knows? But Jonathan Dos Santos and, and Roman Alessandrini, it, both of those guys affect this game greatly. And yeah. I think that adding those players in is really going to be interesting. Um, the expected goal difference was minuscule in this game. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's not as if... It, I don't want to take away from the chances that they created. LAFC created a lot of really good chances, and their passing was just, just it just cut up the galaxy at uh, yeah. different po- po- uh, places in time. Uh, the passes by Urena, the passes by uh, Diego Rossi, both um, that goal by Carlos Vela, it was amazing. Uh, both of them, the chip and the uh, the curler, but. At no time was it kind of in my mind that, man, this they just absolutely destroyed them and created so much to a point that um, they deserved the emphatic lead that they had. Um, but at the same time, in the second half, that switch flipped. Right. 
And I mean, it flipped hard. Like all of a sudden, they went from. But but that coincided with uh, Baja Hus- uh, uh being subbed on, and not just subbed on, but he actually went forward. Like he was him and Carrasco both decided, okay, we're going to press. Right. And but as like soon as was... that, as soon as you they started press uh, pressing those uh, the ball makers, the uh, Benny Fellhaber, um, Stephen Bettishore on that one turnover where. Um, uh, Legette yeah. scored. As soon as that ball pressure was started to be, yeah, it created a little bit more space for uh, LAFC to to kind of run around, but it almost seemed like LAFC wasn't ready for it uh, in some way. And, and on top of that, it didn't seem like they had the the individuals on the field to play a possession oriented soccer so right. all of a sudden it just became lafc running one way and then give the galaxy running the other which was a lot of fun to watch from a visual perspective right mm-hmm. uh, both sides were going down and going at each other but a there weren't a shot a lot of shots being created there weren't a lot of true opportunities being created and the opportunities that were weren't necessarily um on paper they weren't great um you know, I, I, I'm sure going over shot by shot, you you kind of make an argument about the placement of defenders, especially in transition, um, that there's probably better opportunities there. But honestly, I it was fu- I think it was fun because I don't think either team was very good defensively. <laughs> That's probably uh, true. And Tyler Miller, what what the, what the heck was Tyler Miller doing? It I actually went back and clocked it. It took Tyler from the point in time that he kicked the ball on the free kick to mm-hmm. the ball hitting the back of the neck. There was over 10 seconds. Like, we're not yeah. talking about a ball being all the way up at midfield. Like, it was just outside the penalty box. Yeah. This is a kick it's- it and, and jog back. Like, it was the most Stefan Fry mo- moment um, that I could think it's- of. Like, Fry is known for spectacular saves, but he's also known in Seattle for being out of posi- wildly out of position at times. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a bizarre thing from Tyler Miller. He's been very, very disciplined so far. Yeah, he's a very good young goalkeeper. Uh, um, but I really feel like... There was, there was magic in the air. It wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> if he didn't do it there, he would have done it some other way. Sure. It's his league now, sure. It's his league. Uh, all right, let's uh, close things out. A couple more games here real quick. Orlando City, New York Rebels. Orlando, a thrilling 4-3 win over the Rebels, who, um, you know, a, this is good from Orlando City. We're, we're, they're, they're Obviously, giving up three goals is not, um, but scoring four is for that offense, and were it not for the thing that happened just after, I think this is the match everybody would probably be talking about this week. Um I don't know. I, I still feel like looking at the Red Bulls, they're still so, so good. And I think they're still kind of dancing around the uh, Champions League. And I don't think we've even seen this team kind of at its full strength in Major League Soccer yet. So I, I wouldn't be concerned about that. I, I know it's a really good result for Orlando City. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly, um, certainly nothing to be too concerned about for the Red Bulls. There's probably not a lot to worry about with from New York's perspective, but uh, Tommy Redding probably is not going to see uh, a lot of first team minutes this year uh, no. based off of that, um, no. unless he changes his ways. But uh, <laughs> yeah, not New York doesn't have much to worry about. But from Orlando, Dom Dwyer was excellent. Yeah, 
And that's a guy they've been kind of waiting to get back. Obviously, I think they're still waiting on all their pieces to kind of all be there at once. And um, yeah. I still expect I still expect good things for Orlando this city. I think they're going to be a much much stronger team this time around. And um, certainly uh, having all their pieces going at one time is going to be crucial for them going forward. So congratulations to both teams on playing well. Uh, congratulations to Orlando City on playing slightly better and, and taking all three points this week. Uh, last match we're going to talk about, not a lot to say, Toronto wins 3-1 over Real Salt Lake um, at Toronto. Not an unexpected result. Uh, actually, though, Toronto's first win this year in Major League Soccer. Uh, I don't, uh, yeah, I mean, Ian, I, I feel like... Ian, if I could, if I could sell my all, if I could find a buyer... My Good RSL luck finding stock. a buyer. Good no, luck. like there, there's, there yeah. are no buyers. The market is you are holding your RSL. Um, I uh, bought yeah. so much RSL stock. I know you. you yeah, somebody got you to buy some oceanfront property in Montana, yep. buddy. Yep, and um, I really, really wish I didn't have it. Like you talked me into it. You had me yeah. absolutely sold. Yeah, and, and I, you were the other part of that pyramid scheme. I had to bring you in to, to finish my <laughs> investment. Ah. All right, so RSL. We're going to have to sit down, I think, maybe next week or here in a couple weeks and really have a long uh, yeah. piece discussion about what is going on with them. Yeah, like, I, we don't, it's, there's not enough time to get into it right now. But there's just, oh, RSL, what are you doing? It's always tough to go to Toronto and get results. Don't get me wrong. That's not anything anyone's going to claim, but they were just completely not in this game at all, and that's not what I expect from them. No, I, 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 don't, I don't have a lot to echo back. I mean, all right. we'll, everything, put a, we'll, everything... we'll put a pin in RSL. Sure, let's put a Peace. pin on it. I don't think uh, we got enough time to really get into it here and give it, give it a cut. Maybe next week we'll just, hopefully they'll do something good this week and we can get some more hope back in our stocks, but... Um, <laughs> let's put a fit in that. Let's come back to that next week. Uh, obviously, Toronto, very good team. Uh, getting the result at home, 3-1. Um, that's it, man. That's all we got time for today. Yeah, I, I blabbed way too long about LAFC. It's okay. It's, it's okay. It, yeah. it's, it's, what, it's what everyone's talking about. Um, and, you know, uh, I do want to talk about RSL some more. So let's, let's carve out some time in our schedule next week for just, just some RSL breakdown. How about that? Yeah, we'll do. We'll, we'll kind of snuggle with RSL a little bit. You we'll know, give it, a little bit. I, I I think it needs a little love. Yeah, pet it a little bit. Try to try to bring it back to life. Um, all right. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Um, I am uh, your host Ian Lamberson. With me, as always, was my co-host Harrison Crow. You can find him on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, you can follow American Soccer Analysis on Twitter at Analysis Evolved. Hit us up with interesting stats, questions, anything you want us to discuss, feedback, unless it's negative. Uh, you know, do let us know about that. Uh, thanks again to Elliot McKinley, who provided our interesting statistic this week. Uh, and uh, please visit the website, www.americansocceranalysis.com. Uh, got a lot of great articles up there now. Elliot even has one, the, the long-promised uh, article about Giovinco and the art of free kick taking, which is a very good article and totally worth a read. Um, you know what? We'll be back next week. And until then, uh, enjoy the soccer. They are both holy and free. And I'm in Ohio, satanic and chained up. And until the end, that's how it'll be. I said, make me love myself so that I might love you. 
Don't make me a liar, cause I swear to God When I said it, I thought it was true St. Calvin told me not to worry about you But he's got his own things to deal with There's really just one thing that we have in common Neither of us will be missed St. Bernard sits at the top of the driveway You always said how you love dogs I don't know if I count But I'm trying my best When I'm howling and barking these songs